0: Welcome to baseball biz on deck and I'm Mark Carpenter host and with me today I have Dr. Julie Wernick and Julie has been t- into the business for some time as an athlete and then 20 years as a clinical psychologist in sports and I'm sure she has a lifetime of stories to tell is that plus being a parent so you put all those together and there's a lot of life experience so yes. Julie w- welcome to the show how are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk baseball and sports and mental health. I'm
0: glad to have you here. I got to meet you at the PodFest. And then, of course, listening to your own podcast with Getting Gritty with Dr. J, which I, I love. I mean, you cover a lot of different topics. You have different guests. And whether it be some player who's been in the past or one of them, like on recently, you had about bad coaching. And mm-hmm. I think as a parent, <laughs> as a fan, And Mm -hmm. myself, I've I've always been amazed about what coaches can do.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, and I look back to years ago when I was a youngster and I watched the University of Louisville basketball and I heard that they brought on this guy, this, this psychologist who helped with their mental health and, suddenly seen a certain positivity of these players being able to hit more free throws mm-hmm. and I said, somebody's doing something. I figured it must've been some kind of magic, but we're talking 40 years ago. So forgive me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had no understanding. Yes,
1: We are magical as sports psychologists.
0: You must be, I mean, to, <laughs> to see the turnaround that you guys are able to deliver with mm-hmm. the work that you do is, is mm-hmm. amazing to me. I mean, you're able to listen hear, and give guidance. That's proven well. I, and while we're talking baseball, I know, what was it? One of your, one of the folks you worked with was it Eric Homa. He posted something the other day about having mm-hmm. a challenge, but right, he, he had a plan to face it. And it sounded like that was something that maybe you had worked with him on.
1: Well, I think in with my athletes, you know, even my collegiate athletes, I work with a lot of college because in San Antonio, we have a lot of diverse universities here. And I work with a lot of pitchers. Pitchers and hitters are my special, you know, it's almost like the quarterback and the kicker. You know, it's, if you don't, if you're not hitting, you're not going to win. If you're not pitching well, you're not going to win. But it's so interesting that even though a lot of pitchers, even at the division one level, they don't even have like Really solid routines. They don't really know what to do prior to the pitch. They don't really know what to say to themselves. They don't have a routine after a pitch. And even in the warm up, like I said, oh my gosh, like the, the key to consistent success is doing the same thing all the time. And what's kind of funny, and I'll bring this up, is I had one pitcher and he goes to play, I think it's Ole Miss or school in Mississippi, and he's in a bullpen and he's warming up. And about an 80 year old man comes up to the bullpen, of course, the opposing team's fans, and start talking about his mother and just like ripping (laughs) him. I mean, this is a warm up. This is a 20 year old, so, you know, boy pitching. And these fans are totally just ripping this guy apart. And this is the common theme. So there's a lot of problems. Number one, number one, I think our fans are taking a little too serious, but and, you know, and and going after this poor innocent kid. That's a problem in of itself. Like to be able to to, to do that, like get a life, okay, have fun, support your team. But do, do we need, really need a bully? And these poor guys who are just trying to play baseball. And the second is, these guys have to know how to handle it you know, and you have to be able to handle distractions. And that's not easy because you're there, you're warming up and then you have that. So you do have to block out a lot in order to pitch well. You know, there are a lot of distractions and by having like a very specific routine and really locking in is really important. And so as a as a sports psychologist, he had no idea. Number one, I think people don't know what to expect when they walk in. They they like, who is this person and what can they offer me? So I think they have no clue sometimes all the tools that we have. Second, I played high level. So I think, you know, they, they get it really fast, but they have so much to learn. And even the professional athletes like for hitting in the books I recommend, like I, I recommend all my athletes do some reading because it can get a lot more detailed in our sessions. I say, what is your favorite pitch to hit? And some of them don't even know, even at the higher level, what their specific favorite pitches. I say, oh, inside. So there's a lot to be learned, and the details are everything in, in sports. And so the sports, we are able to really get into the nitty-gritty of what are they thinking about, what are they feeling, knowing themselves really well. So it's it's pretty special in my work, and I really enjoy it.
0: Well, it's amazing to me when I'm, I'm looking at what you're doing, especially like what I think about pitchers and watching them on the mound. And you see a lot of them do have a routine. There are certain steps they take. There's a certain approach they take. You know, how they position themselves, even with their glove, while they're standing on the rubber long before they actually take that pitch. And I think that a lot of times they must have to try to filter out all of that crowd noise, everything else surrounding them. And just Mm -hmm. what is that grip on their, you know, on that ball that they have on their hand? What is their relationship with that catcher and being able to get the signal and send it back? and being just in that moment uh, right. and not, and not overthinking. Them. I mean, right. what, what kind of guidance can you give to someone when they've right. got all of those things swirling around in their head?
1: Right. So I think the number one thing is that the more you, the more anxious you are and the more you think, the more inward you are and to be a great pitcher is pretty simple. It's trusting your pitch and focusing on the target. So, you know, I call it four apps. It's really having, having fun, because I think number one, you know, when you're really enjoying pitching and you enjoying anything, you know, it just takes some of the stress off and you're like, oh my God, bring it. You know, and you're embracing the challenge. Number two, really believing in your pitch. And so you have to really, really with the warm up, really get that confidence. But then again, your warm-up doesn't I always tell the athletes that your warm up doesn't have to mean anything because there are many times when I've had, you know, I was warming up. You know, I played middle infield in college and my warmups were kind of fair, you know, like, but warmups are really not adrenaline. It's not really the, the a warmup is a warmup. So number one, you, you definitely want to realize that just because you're warm up in the bullpen doesn't mean your pitches are not going to work. You know, so you really have to believe in, in your stuff. Number two, you number three, you really have to focus really hard on your target. And, you know, having some, just a couple of keywords, maybe just a couple things that you think about versus having too many things and then really following through. So I think, I think if you keep the premise of, you know, confidence, fun, focus, and follow through, and then for that athlete, it may just be one or two words, keywords, and that's the way to kind of just keeping things a little simple in their mind.
0: Simplicity seems to be the key, then, Mm and like you said, focus. So that, that is interesting. And I would I would think that would be sometimes very difficult to get to. I know my my home life, whatever I'm working with, yeah. s- staying focused is, is seems right. like a real challenge.
1: Sure, there's a lot of obstacles. For example, I had a pitcher, Division One pitcher. He gets drafted to the major, you know, and he's in the minors. And when I was working him, he didn't really have any major injuries, but then all of a sudden, you know, you're playing a million games, you know, oh my gosh, the seasons for college. And when you get drafted, it's literally weeks, you have to go get your blood work done, your physical, and then, then you're playing single A, you know, and sometimes if they get an arm injury, then the challenge then is, oh my gosh, like I'm here my velocity is 10 miles per hour down. And now they start panicking, you know? So they feel there's a lot of pressure on them because they're not getting paid a whole lot. And then they like start freaking out. So some of the agents are starting to come to me as well. And they sign their baseball players because, you know, I, they say, oh, the mental is 80%. No, it's a hundred percent because your brain is constantly there. Your mind, your feelings, your thoughts are constantly with you. So it's a hundred percent mental if you ask a lot of athletes who don't make it, they don't say it's usually technical. They'll say it's the mental game. So I, I feel like, oh, it should be that all baseball players have someone just like strength training and nutrition, you, you know, of course, it gets to the point well who's paying for it? But I feel like it, that's the issue that we find in sports psychology still, is that we're very underutilized, even though it is it, as you get older and your technique is there, Obviously it's not as much technical when you're younger, you know, you're trying to throw the ball. It becomes a little more technical, but as you get older and more experienced, it does become more mental than even physical.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure the level of confidence over time has to really kind of explode as far as what they're able to achieve. I mean, we look at some of these pitchers that are out there now, DeGrom, Verlander, et cetera. And these are seasoned players. And a lot of times these folks have gone through injuries, just like you were talking about Tommy John years ago, you said, Oh, that's a career ender. You know, it's over with, but now I'm seeing pitchers who've had two Tommy Johns and who are still performing well out there. So, I mean, it gets past a certain mindset, I guess, from, from what we've had in the past. And that's, that's quite the challenge. I'm glad to hear that they're somewhat more embracing, at least the agents. You know of of how to cultivate a player with some guidance from a doctor like yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean that's why people ask me, well, what made you do a podcast? And I said because me just helping the the few people. Number one, there's a cost involved for my services, right? But a podcast, I can reach the whole world, and you know. And the other thing is, I'm I'm giving advice too and tips that you know, people may not get necessarily my office because, you know, let's say a minor league baseball player, they can't afford it. It, You know, they're getting paid very minimal. I think a podcast, I'm probably going to eventually do like the mental performance of pitchers, right? And I'll probably get high end, you know, pitchers coming in and really talking and being about their mental game. But number one, they can't be ashamed because they have to, they have to share their experience with others. And that's the problem. People will go on and talk about their physical rehab. A lot of them are afraid to to say, oh yeah, I work with a sports psychologist. So I think that's the problem right there is, is how do we get, how do we get us for athletes to say, you know, and I've been in San Antonio for many years and not hardly any coaches seek me out. The players who find me are the players and the parents. Mm. And this is the problem. Why aren't more coaches utilizing and saying, yeah, like let's bring on Dr. J or how about, how about, you know what? just interview me like interview and get to know me and know my knowledge before you hire and then say, wow, but that's even in our country, there's a shortage because we don't, we're all wanting to help, but we don't get the opportunities to help.
0: Well, <laughs> that's gotta be a critical piece of the puzzle. And it, it does. It's a bit worrisome. It's like, you have to realize these things are actually happening. I'm glad parents are there. I'm glad agents are there because if there's a level of concern, and it still amazes me because as you're saying, the game is 100% mental, and certainly for those pitchers, and that has to be acknowledged by managers. You know, they're there in the dugout with these players. They're getting it. As long as we're kind of talking about pitchers, I'd like to jump for a moment because you mm-hmm. were saying something about hitters and. My gosh, the sensitivity this I mean, I, some of my favorite players they're out there and they're banging it and they're doing a great hundred. They're, they're hitting 300 and more. And then suddenly it drops down. You know, they're lucky to get 200 or are just slightly mm-hmm. below it. And you hear of quote the yips unquote, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. something's happened to them. They, they've, right. they've lost something. What do you work with, with athletes who, who are going through something like that at the,
1: Oh at the yeah, bat? absolutely. I mean, you know, if, you know, I think about, you know, Altuve when the Astros, you know, being in Texas here and what I love to watch, I always tell my boys, you know, always watch the best of the best, you know, and really listen to their, you know, you know, of course they're 14, 15 and they're going to do what they want to do. But you know, I especially like to listen to the, the best athletes in the world because they're giving you the secrets to their success. They're telling you, they're giving you the answers, right? And so like everyone, we should be emulating and modeling the best, whether it's physically or mentally and you know i remember altuve was you know I, I don't even like the word struggling because that's when you say good or bad or struggle now you're putting a judgment you're doing ju- a judgment and baseball there's no room for that because you can go 1 for 10 and 8 for 8 it's in the matter of like overnight you have to stay the course and you, and that's the problem is you know people say oh um they want to change things and you don't you do the same you ha- if you have the same routine whether you're in the hole and you're on deck and you're stepping the box, right. And you have a lot of confidence. You make your adjustments. You may make a different, you may make, you know, do a little bit of an adjustment. Okay. But not change everything, but you still have to walk in that box with the same, like, I'm going to rip it the same. Like we got this. I own you. That confidence has to be there all the time. And even if your confidence is there all the time, you can still go over eight. So when (laughs) Altuve said he was one, he was one for, you know, 15, Yeah. but then he says, that's baseball, you know, that's baseball. And, and you, and then you, you because you, you know, you don't have, it's not a struggle. It's reality. I mean, and then, all, but you don't change anything. You just keep going, grinding out when you stay, you stay confident, you, you, you keep working, you know, you keep practicing, but then you don't press, you don't go in the box going, I have to get a hit or I need to get a hit. And so, and then all of a sudden he hits the game winner to win the, the, the whole thing, the world series. Or, you know, the game-ending hit. Or Kobe Bryant says, you know, I remember I I cut this out of the newspaper, which was extremely important and eye-opening. He says, 0 for 15 hits game winner. <laughs> so he shot. He didn't even get a shot the whole game, and he hits a game winner. That's a champion right there. Oh yeah. Because when it counted, they did it. So Altuve is saying, stay the course, like don't freak out, don't panic, don't change everything. And that's the problem in golf. And, in, you know, especially in golf, everyone starts changing things. Okay. It's like, don't change anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. It'll work.
0: <laughs> well, and you hit it right there. I mean, as far as continuity and doing it, you know, and staying kind of jumping for a moment, I think it was Joe Madden. I was reading one of his books and one thing he was talking about, cause you know, he came up like most of them come up as a hitting coach, et cetera, before they ever long before they ever become a manager. And then by the time he became a manager in one of the minor leagues, he was watching his own hitting coach, giving this batter, who had a fantastic style, who was doing really well. He was given instruction to that batter on how to bat and Joe's over scratching his head saying, what, wait a minute, come here, leave that kid alone."
1: Leave him alone. Right. And that's okay. So that brings up a good point is when I'm working with a hitter and they're going in the minor league system. They call me because they're pissed off, because they're all trying to the ego of the coach. They're trying to make the players like them. And and you look at Jeff Bagwell stands. You look at Derek Jeter stands. You look at Gary Sheffield. You look at Tony Gwynn. If they're all, there's no Tony Gwynns. There's no Gary Sheffield. There's just Gary Sheffield. There's Tony Gwynn. That's it. They're individual people, and so great coaches can extract the best from there in their that that player's eyes if they get the ball you know in the hole and they're hitting well why change it you know look at shooters like sean marion and they all have different shots so i think that that's the issue too is everyone's trying to change and and they want people to be like them instead of just letting them get on base who cares how they got on base (laughs) i mean still work with your craft but let people be who they are a little bit
0: if they've got talent and it's already in place. Yeah. Why would you modify, you know, like you we were saying earlier, you know, little, little bitty tweaks or something if you need to, but if you've got the process in there and they're it already working, you don't really need to mess with it. And mm-hmm. the, yeah, the egos need to stay in the pocket for some of these coaches. But
1: Well, another one that I find out, I work with like a lot of college guys is the idea of the OPS and long ball. And I had a guy, and I was trained to be a level swing. Like my dad, you know, grew up with Mickey Mantle and that one. He always said, Julie, level swing, level swing, level swing, level swing. So I used to have it on my batting glove, you know, C ball level swing, very simple. And, and now, and then I had a guy go to community college and we got him to the point where he was super confident and just ripping, you know, huge dude, six foot four lefty. And the coach is like, no, we need more of an uppercut. You're not going to make it unless you hit the ball over the fence, not these little doubles here. And, and I'm like thinking, what is wrong? <laughs> like the guy is in the zone. He's at number 300. He's lacing the ball low. Why are we all of a sudden now have the launch angle and it messed with him, you know, so, and I was raised small ball all the way, like find a way to get a get the run in. Right. So, you know, now everything is crazy. My dad, we were in South Florida and it was spring training. Cause you know, South Florida is the Mecca in Arizona and they did the shift. And I'm with my parents and my dad and I are like old school baseball, like, you know, hit it where they're not. And of course there's a huge shift. And my dad's pissed. He's like, just bunt it down the line, just get on base. So I think that that's part of it now is- the, the game of baseball to me is bigger is better. And I don't believe that I always tell, you know, find a way to get on. And so even when I work with the younger kids, everyone wants long ball. And I'm like, now you're also putting more pressure on the hitter.
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Come on, boys and girls. I just want to scratch my head. Right? I got to tell you, Dr. J I'm looking at some of that and you know, <laughs> I will, I will take somebody who gets on base and bats RBI any day of the week. Home, home runs yeah, They're fun. Okay. They, they are fun. There's no right. doubt about it. But, okay, one of my favorite players, I'm a Tampa Bay fan. That's not, not no surprise there. But Yandy Diaz, I love watching this man at bat because he goes up there, and there's no telling what he's going to do. He's measuring each pitch as it comes in. He's got a sense of where that box is for the strike zone and he, he strikes out rarely, you know, most of time he's either walking or he gets a hit. He's and mm-hmm. Exactly. He, he's, he's a man who sees beyond that, but you know, he adapts to what's coming up there and I can't imagine anybody going to Yandi and say, Yonder, you need to hit more out of the park. You, you got the strength to do it, but you need to hit more out of the park. I'm sorry. Did he get on base last time because right. the pitcher was just not hitting the zone? Thank you, Yandi. And did the guy advance right. from from first to second when Yandi did that? Thank mm-hmm. you, Yandi. Now there, there are coaches out there, like you said, who will will argue with this and certainly more at a minor league level. And that takes me to another topic because recently you did a, a podcast where you were talking about bad coaching. Oh oh boy, I think think we've all known them, you know, even as an athlete, I'm sure there were, Mm -hmm. there were people you're going along the way say, good Lord, you know, I've got to find my own mindset with this. And, uh, one quick story for me in little league, there was this team that did so great. There was like, you know, one of these places where you got all the big parades and 20 or 30 teams and this one coach, he had such a great results each year. But he also stood up and screamed and shouted at each one of those players, and they'd go home crying. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know how he had any kind of success, but I always felt for those players. And, and I thought,
1: yeah.
0: what, what can we expect of a coach? What does a good mm-hmm. coach bring, certainly at a level like that?
1: Well, I mean, the underage of twelve, the, the dropout rate for little league baseball, eighty percent drop out because support poor coaches under the age of twelve. And that's research based, as evidence based. So obviously we're failing the, the little league baseball players. I think what happens is, you know, parents get overly attached to winning in their ego. And so whenever you whenever you coach out of like too much emotion, that's an issue right there. Okay. Because <laughs> yelling, I mean, yelling, first of all, it's kind of common sense that you perform better when you're not having a lot of pressure on you. And so if a coach is yelling at you, like, come on, you got to get a hit. That's not necessarily the best approach, but you hear it all the time. So I think we perform better when we know our coaches really believe in us. And I think it's very common sense. Like when you think common sense, positivity, relaxation, trust breeds great performance, but the coaches actually do the opposite of that. And the problem too is because right now, especially like at the, the high school or college or professional level, everybody's there taking your spot. And that can cause a little bit of an issue because then if you're not performing, someone else is there to take your spot. But I think at the, I think great coaches understand that you're going to make physical errors. You're always going to make a physical error. Like you're always and so that's my biggest problem is that coaches expect perfection when you're not getting it. Like in baseball, you know, it could take a bad hop and, and, and boom, or you can hit the back of your glove. So a good coach should not even say a whole lot. Cause great. Cause the players already know what they did wrong. You know, So negativity pressure, that's why kids are dropping out left and right is because it's not fun and, and baseball and all sports should be fun. And when you're playing fun for fun and you're enjoying it, great coaches can be intense. They can be like, come on, we got this or bring it or let's go, but they don't have to be abusive. And that's the difference. You can be intense, but positive.
0: I like that because unfortunately in this particular coach, his intensity was not positive. He was the kind of guy you'd see him pointing a finger, getting in the face of the child where practically spittle was getting on him. And he, he was a big imposing man on top of that. So, well, yes. I mean, because you did say you got parents, you got agents, and you got players coming in. Well, are coaches themselves seeing that they need some kind of help? Are they are we seeing coaches at all coming in and, and seeing yourself or others for some guidance?
1: Well, here's the, the, the problem too. When you're getting in the collegiate world, is if you don't win, you don't stay, and so. Athletic directors also, this is a systemic problem because parents and athletic directors and the the leaders organization also have to understand the mentality of trust and building. And that takes time. And, but if the athletic directors too are very much like, oh, well, you're not winning MSP, that means, that means that you're not doing well. That's not true. (laughs) You could be improving and not winning but there's pressure for their jobs. If they're not winning, you know, they get fired. Then where do they go? Yeah. And so I think the coaches are projecting some of their pressures onto the kids, you know? And a lot of times, even parents who do, they're un- they have unresolved issues mentally. <laughs> you know, they, a lot of them will go, Oh, if what, if I only had this, I would have been this. Yeah. If I only had my parents or if only had privates, And so then they're, they're totally, and then I get the 14 year old commits. They're 14 years old. They're already committing to D1. And then they're having so much pressure on them. And then they have all the social piece of, you know, oh, are you really that good? And, and and so there's, it's, it's really rough across the board, but I think, I think that coaches, a lot of kids sometimes burn out or even in, in minor leagues, they burn out because the coaches are, they're ugly or they're negative and. We all as human, you and me and everybody needs a little love. We need a little thank you. We oh, need yeah. a little appreciation. It goes a long way.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And and, and Dr. J, you know, I know a boss I had years ago, he had kind of a quiet support. He would give very little guidance. And the team, he had the best team working for him in that business. Uh, there were several other managers sim- around. People would come to him. And they would also try to poach his his employees. That's that's how good he was. And the one time he got critical with me, and he said, "I'm I'm disappointed." Oh my gosh! It was like a load of bricks on my back. But he got me motivated without screaming or shouting. Because when he did need to give you know more pointed direction, it you know it was there. If if he had been sort of boss where he was shouting at me all the time, telling me this that or other, I would have just found another job but he helped me with the course correction at that point.
1: Yeah. I mean, actions speak a lot of the words, you know, like I, my kids have been playing with the same baseball team since they're nine, pretty much for the last five years. And this is the last season my coach has my twin boys and they're, they're 14 u baseball and our coach, he's very calm. He doesn't, he, he, you know, I taught, he was on actually my, the podcast. And he goes, even keel, he goes, because when you make a mistake, you got to be even keel. And you oh, yeah. play better when you're focused. So he doesn't really get on them a lot. And when and his actions are, he's always early to every practice. He's there early. And like you said, he's a man. He's soft spoken, but he demands commitment. He has routines. He's there early, and that shows you care, just by the nature of your actions too.
0: Absolutely, and you know that is something I think we all look for. Like so whether in coaching or, or in, our, in our life anywhere, just as you were saying. I want to also talk about when you're dealing with young people and like you said, the one 14 years old and they're looking for him for division one, it's like good gravy, man. The expectations. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I I mean, I know what very little I know about psychology. I know as we age, as we grow, there's changes in our brain and how we deal with things. I can't imagine a 14 year old dealing with trying to even comprehend what's going on there.
1: No, I mean, that's why I don't think any kid should, verbally commits at any age. In fact, great coaches would say, wait as long as possible. I was talking to my sons for years. I love tennis and tennis isn't as popular. I love baseball, but tennis is such an underrated sport. And uh, my kids are, they play baseball and basketball and now they're playing tennis and now they're enjoying tennis. And, you know, we have to make some decisions, but kids change their mind all the time. I also, going back to, to youth sports years ago, when we grew up, I played three varsity sports in, in, in high school. We played a lot, of, a lot of sports. We cross-trained. And I do think that pros and cons, number one, I didn't have the technical advancements that nowadays everyone has. I mean, first of all, we didn't have the internet. So right. now the internet, you can learn your swing by YouTube. You don't even have to go to a private lesson. So the, the problem though is, is that because we have so many resources, it causes more pressure because it's almost like you got to start diapers practically. Because as you get to fourteen, these kids have been playing club for years, and so you have to really, as a parent, balance out like overuse. So like, I I'm doing a little bit of a, like I want my kids to play all the sports even at fourteen, where like some of the parents have their kids doing only baseball. Yeah. And I've seen fourteen years old with Tommy John surgery. Jeez, Pete.
0: Oh my gosh, Doctor J, that's that's just crazy. It, mm-hmm. I want to stop here and remind people to the podcast you have. It's getting gritty with Doctor J, so mm-hmm. learn a lot more about this there as well. And yeah, that's something I was kind of talking to you before we got started to is getting gritty. And you're talking about mental toughness, but mm-hmm. also being able to have some balance about the journey of life, you know, I think sometimes I think of people who have tough guys that I knew that they're mm-hmm. just putting up this wall. and like, This is how I'm going to be. And I'm going to handle it like this. And I feel like sometimes they could just crack.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I do work with, I'm very proud. I work with some vets who suffered for PTSD and uh. We, we talk in our meetings that crying should be the new sexy instead of muscles, because when you, you know, guys and girls, whether you're a muscle builder or, or you're a champion athlete or a bodybuilder, or if you're from a different country, we're all the same, you know, and you, you have to be able to know who you are. You got to know your swing very well. And you not, you got to know your emotions very well. And if you push everything inside and you don't know what you're feeling, that's a problem. You, you got, if you're on the mound and you're gassed. You know, you gotta be able to say, okay, I'm tired right now, or you gotta know it you gotta know when you're angry and you're frustrated and you have to be able to express it in order to fix it. Self-awareness leads to change. And so if you keep everything inside and think you're all tough, you know, it doesn't usually win because that causes a lot of depression, anxiety, and a lot of burnout. But I think that our culture and like the machismo culture, the old school culture is if you tell your coach I'm burnt out or I have my arm hurts, you're weak, suck it up. Yeah. And that leads to more burnout and injuries as well.
0: I can certainly see that in being able for a coach or a manager to be able to communicate effectively with their player and to give them some guidance. That's key. And one thing I'm thinking about now, too, is I know the challenge sometimes with language. I think about 30% of MLB players come from other countries. If we look at Dominican Republic, there are probably about 10% of all MLB players. Boy, that should be interesting, World Baseball Classic. But yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, I was glad to see. I know what in some cases, well, the Rays a couple of years ago, Wander Frankel, young, young man coming in. You talk about commitments early on, they were there and he probably had some challenges, but the Rays brought along Nelson Cruz. Here's a man who spoke the same language a man who's lived the game for many years and someone who could probably give perspective somebody that Franco may have revered himself and i thought to me i don't know that that was the thinking behind the race but i thought what a great idea to to yeah. bring somebody in like that to you know not necessarily to come in and tell mm-hmm. wander franco what to do but to be there for him to to yeah. lead by example mhm
1: well, yeah. I mean, to mentor him and to be there for him. And well, that's the whole idea that the more teams that are more cohesive, you know, and that's an issue like with women's sports they can come around and talk and like do team building, but it's all, like almost like the guys, like how do we create a brotherhood, you know, of like play for each other. I think that like, if a guy is struggling, yeah, I would probably go to my, I would say, listen, you know, Nelson, like, Hey, talk to him, go to dinner with him, include him take him, you know, make dinner, go hang out, be there for him, support him. That would make him feel, that would break him in like a glove a lot quicker. And the more he feels included and supported and cared for, the better he's going to play probably. So that's another piece, you know, is feeling trust and empathy and kindness and playing for each other. You know, when I interviewed Matt Adams on my podcast, they talked a lot about the Nationals win. The Nationals, when they won the World Series, they they were not good at the beginning. I mean, they were like struggling, you know. And they all went into the dugout. I mean, into the clubhouse and say, guys, like let's have fun. Like we know how to play baseball. Let's enjoy the game. And as they started enjoying the game I and mean, just playing game by game, one at bat at a time, you know, yes, it's like yes, we want to win the World Series, but that's like a magnet. But that's that's pr- that could be pressure. We're not here just to win. We're here to win one game at a time. Yep. We're gonna win at bat at a time. Yep. Win one pitch at a time, and then you just pass it back, and then you just have fun. And if you stay in the present and you pl- play for a bigger meaning of the gratitude and the enjoyment of the game, then all of a sudden the winning kind of takes care of itself. So they had, but it was great that they had this come to the meeting, going, "Okay, guys, let's reflect what's not working." And let's change it. That's evolution. But I think that we get a lot of old school organizations that are doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm not going to call out the Rangers because the Rangers haven't won a whole lot. Or, (laughs) you know, the teams that haven't won, let's, we can name it. That's a problem. That's not the players, you know, and I don't care. Like people can say, it's the culture. It is the culture. It is the leadership because these are great. These are major league baseball players. So to me, it's the leadership. In the culture. And if you have a create a culture of relaxation and trust and fun, you will start to improve. And that's just, that's how I feel. That's why I know the mental game is everything.
0: Oh, you sold me. I mean, I believe it anyway, but I mean, I, I know watching a game, I love dugout shots because to me I'm seeing if there's some camaraderie out there, if there's somebody that's cutting up, if there's a positive energy happening there, because right. I know if that's going on one their mind is in the game. They're probably a healthier person,
1: yes, <laughs>
0: and they're probably more cohesive as a team. They're still—you still right. going still to see moments where one of them shot the other, like, "What the heck are you doing out there?" Well, but yeah. that's human yeah. nature. But all in all, when you see that kind of camaraderie, I, I've seen dugouts where they're all almost silent. Right. <laughs> you, you'd think they were in the middle of a funeral procession or something.
1: Exactly, and I and I have quotes that are really big for me, and I quoted this: "Fun is freedom." Because when you're having fun, your instincts take over.
0: That sounds right to me.
1: (laughs) So we have a lot, we have a long way to go, but these are the conversations that I'm glad Mark, that you're bringing me on for because it really is all about the mental game. It's all about fun. It's all about trust. It's all about belief. It's about being grateful. And I think about the greed and the money Um, I really think that's caused a little bit of a problem, you know, because it's putting a lot more pressure, I think, even on our athletes.
0: Well, athletes who who started with fun of the game and then have to feel like they're charging for money is is a whole other thing. Sometime on another show, I'd like to talk to you about that path of an athlete. I mean, whether it be somewhere from the Dominican Republic and Academy team there to as they're coming through like I said the the expectations the well even from the Dominican Republic the language barriers all these impediments that it can, well they could be impediments for a young player so that I'd like yeah. to do on a future show with you maybe sure. but right now tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at the, the Texas Center
1: Yeah. So God, I've been in, I've been in the same offense since 2007 and uh, the majority in San Antonio, Texas, the majority of my work are, we don't have a lot of uh, many professional teams here. Like we have the Spurs, but we don't have, we have the missions. We, I think the, some of the Spurs bought the missions. I think there's double A. So I've worked, I think the Brewers, I've done a little work with some of the players there, but typically athletes, a lot of college and high school baseball players, Tennis players, pretty much all athletes, come to see me. You know, I always interview the parents. I ask the athletes to tell me about, and and I like the fact that I'm a clinical sports psychologist. Where there's a lot of like sports performance people that just come in and they just want to talk performance, and I think that's missing the boat too, yeah. <laughs> because they, these people are, you know, these are people. And so I want to know who they are. I want to know their career identity. I want to know what, what they enjoy other than their sport. I want to know why they're doing their sport. I want to talk to the parents. I want to talk about their communication. I want to talk about physical and mental health. For example, a really great example is for, you talked about, the, you mentioned the yips. Well, I know a lot about the yips because there's a lot of circumstances. Mackie Sasser from the Mets, he struggled with getting the ball from the, catchers, the catcher to the pitcher. He was a catcher. Steve Sachs and Chuck Knobloch, both I believe were second basemen for the Yankees, had a hard time getting the ball from second base to the pitcher. I mean to first base. And some of the pitchers underarm, underhanded from pitcher to first. Because I do think that the thinking component slides in, right? And they start overthinking things. Oh yeah. The fear the fear of failure kicks in. And there's almost like more of an embarrassment factor. That if you overthrow the pitcher versus a shortstop gunning it over the first baseman's head, okay. So it becomes pressure. It can be injured, and um, and that can lock that arm to be very tight. So one of the guys I work with, let me give you an example. The parents said that he he has a little bit of the yips. And I don't like to use the word yips because I feel like it's a condition. And I, and I think it's more of like permanent. So I don't really care for the word, but it's a word. So he came in and i I've been doing this for a very long time. I've played softball for many years until I was 38 competitively and little league baseball. I've had arm injuries. I've dislocated my shoulder. I've had shoulder pain. So he's a full, fo- he's also a quarterback, this guy. So he's a quarterback and a baseball pitcher and he has tryouts coming up within a week and he comes into my office and as I'm interviewing, he's telling me that, he, you know, he's really struggling getting to the ball to the target. And I asked him, I said, do you have any shoulder pain? Like, do you have any? And he's like, yeah. And, and, and I'm like, hmm, so how long have you been having for a while? So I said, and he's talking to me about it. And I, th- I said, I think you may have a slap tear in your rotator cuff. I said, but the only way to definitively know that is you need to get an mri and i said i do not recommend you going to that baseball tryout in a few days because if you go with an arm injury you're going to show off your arm you're going to gun it and you can really make it worse and i said this you know your junior year you have time you really want to think long term about this and you really should get yourself checked and i brought the mom into the session and i said listen my instincts and my gut instincts is that I think your son has an injury that needs to be looked at immediately. And I don't recommend him going to that tryout. And that's probably causing his psychological issues. It's a physical issue that he's now turned, it made it psychological, but I think that everybody told him to suck it up and he's desensitized himself through pain. He thinks that pain is normal. The long story short, he goes to the doctor I recommended. He has a slap tear, and within a week, he's having surgery. And, they, and, they, and I said, don't come back to me until that shoulder is really healed, and then we'll talk more. And the mom thanked me because they're coming to a psychologist, and it's medical. So I think there's a lot of components that can impact the yips you know, or short-arming it. Well,
0: and that's, I think it was an important part that you mentioned, is from your own experience as an athlete and the things that you've experienced, it's somebody, yes, okay, I'm glad you're a positive imaging coach and you're, you're doing those things or you're you're doing something, you know, somebody comes in for uh, whatever, work with their mentality. But when you talk to a person, you're not looking at just turning a key. You're seeing relationships of what's going on with them. And to be able to define that relationship or at least say, hmm, looks like there's something here that, that requires further analysis. <laughs> there's probably not enough of that going on.
1: No, <laughs> there's not a lot enough going on. Yeah, it's
0: complicated. Uh, well, Doctor Jay, I want to thank you. Is there any other things you, any messages or something you want to leave with our audience?
1: I think that we need to tell our audience that they should be doing more, whether it's reading hitting books or mentality of hitting or pitching ask, you know, supporting our kids, not giving them all the answers, but we need to spend more time developing the mental game and not just the physical game. And it's okay. And I always tell people that going to a sports psychology consultant is just another coach. We're we're just coaches. And so we need to really, I really want to push that agenda today is support your athletes, give them every resource they can and have no regrets, especially with your kids.
0: Wow. Well, We've been speaking with Dr. Julie Wernick of Getting Ready with Dr. J. If you haven't checked out her podcast, please do so. I think it's very illuminating. She has some great guests on there and certainly some great topics. Julie, thanks again for joining us here today on Baseball Biz on Deck. I
1: enjoyed uh,
0: it. I look forward to talking with you again real soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Mark.
0: We've been speaking with Dr. J. That's Dr. Julie Wernick today on Baseball Biz. Julie's a clinical sports psychologist. You can find Dr. J on our podcast, Getting Gritty with Dr. J or on her website at www.gettinggritty.com Thanks again for listening to Baseball Biz and as always remember you can find us here you can find us on podcast directories everywhere go ahead and leave us a review we'd love to hear what you have to say or you can find me Mark on Twitter at the Baseball Biz. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to seeing you again real soon Special thanks to x Rux for the music rocking forward.